O Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first gift parents give a child when he or she enters into the world is a name. Some parents choose names because they have a nice ring to it. Some choose a name to honor a family member or an ancestor. For others, a name has some kind of special meaning for the family. And still others, well, I'm not sure what they were thinking. (laughs) Celebrities in particular seem to be unusually creative in naming their children. Magician Penn Gillette named his little one Moxie Crime Fighter. (laughs) Jermaine Jackson, brother of Michael, named his son Jermajesty. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West gave their baby daughter the name Northwest. Beyonce and Jay-Z chose to name their baby Blue Ivy. But no one can outdo the musician Frank Zappa for creativity, for he named his kids Moon Unit, Dweezil, and Diva. (laughs) Can you imagine going out on the playground? Hey, Moon Unit! (laughs) I mean, come on. Moon unit? Names are a big deal. Uh, They um, affect how others perceive you and how you perceive yourself. It tends to color your personality in some way, shapes your identity. Research shows that certain names set you up for success in life. Polls have shown that classmates and teachers and job recruiters look uh, at names either more positively or more negatively based on their names. Individuals tend to live up or down to their names. A girl named Temptress was charged with ungovernable behavior, including bringing men into her home while her mother was away at work. And the mother said that she did not know what Temptress meant when she named her daughter. It's a true story. It's in Freakonomics, of all places. Names are extremely significant in the Bible. Names are often prophetic or descriptive or reveal some things about who the person is or who they will become. In the book of 1 Samuel, for example, we run across the name of Nabal, which means failure or fool. Turns out he was. Same book, we find a guy by the name of Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. Don't name your kid Ichabod. (laughs) Don't do it. In the Old Testament, we find also a name by the name of Jabez, which means pain. How would you like to be called pain in the neck all your life? I mean, what were his parents thinking, right? Well, this morning we come across uh, a major character, or we meet a major character in the Old Testament, a fellow by the name of Jacob, which means literally heel grabber, supplanter. 
And the name fit him very well because Jacob was grabbing his older twin brother Esau's heel when he was born. And it turns out he lived up, or rather down to that name, for he was a grabber, he was a conniver, cheat, deceiver, usurper, supplanter. He always wanted to get the upper hand against others, particularly against his brother. And there was an occasion when they were both young men living at home when Esau came in from the fields and he was just starving. He found Jacob in the kitchen making some kind of a stew. And the aroma was just so wonderful. Esau was taken with it. And, and so he asked Jacob for some of it. And Jacob responded by suggesting a trade. He would give Esau a bowl of the stew if Esau would give him his birthright. The birthright was an entitlement that belonged to the firstborn son. It carried authority, it, it uh, carried property and some financial advantages. So that Jacob's proposition to trade a birthright for a bowl of stew, or to use the old words, a mess of pottage, was absolutely ridiculous to give away a significant future inheritance, a position of authority for a lunch. Only a fool would agree to such a preposterous deal. But Esau wasn't the sharpest crayon in the box. And Esau, in a response that no doubt seemed very clever to him, said to Jacob, well, what good will my birthright do me if I die of starvation right now? And so the writer of Genesis ominously concludes, thus Esau despised his birthright. Well, Jacob took advantage of his brother's dimness, cheated him out of what was rightfully his. Jacob was later to cheat Esau out of his father's blessing as well. But all his conniving, all his cheating, all his heel grabbing made him the target for his brother's wrath, and so he was promptly on the run escaping to a distant land, taking up residence with his uncle Laban. Some 20 years later, we find Jacob on the move with his family, wanting to come back home. And he camped along the Jabbok River, and he knew that his brother Esau was nearby with 400 men. Esau somehow heard that Jacob was coming home, and so Esau went out to meet him. Last time Jacob saw Esau, Esau had promised to kill him so that Jacob knew he was in big trouble. And so panic began to set in. And as we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob was engaged in a bit of soul searching, wrestling with his thoughts and feelings. He was alone, he was, he was anxious, he was afraid, and no amount of conniving and deceiving manipulation could save him this time. He had lost his self-confidence. Perhaps waves of guilt had swept over him as he thought about the person that he had become. But then the strangest thing happens, and here we pick up the story. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. 
and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Well, here was an, a close encounter of the strangest kind. Jacob was alone, wrestling with his own thoughts and feelings in a state of personal crisis, only to find himself in an all-night wrestling match with somebody else. His wrestling opponent was not a grizzly bear, not a wild animal, but a mystery man. No name was given. There was no description of him. He just appeared. Perhaps he was an angel. Jacob later identified him as God himself. So the two battled through the night to a, to a, a standstill. And as dawn broke, the mystery man struck Jacob's hip, knocking it out of joint. But Jacob was no pushover during the match either. He grabbed the man and refused to let him go until the man blessed him. But before the mystery man could bestow that blessing, Jacob had to answer the man's question. What is your name? And Jacob didn't like that question. In answering that question, Jacob had to face up to the person that he had become. He had to give voice to it. He had to admit it. He didn't like to say his own name. What is your name, said the man. And Jacob said, well, my name is Jacob. With radical honesty, he was declaring that he was indeed a heel grabber, a cheat, a conniver, a trickster, a supplanter. Before he could receive the blessing, he had to honestly come to grips with his true condition, the true condition of his heart. He had been living up, or rather living down to his name, all his life to this point. That's what Jacob was. He was a cheat. No wonder he didn't like to say his name. <laughs> My name is Jacob, he said. And then the man gave him his blessing. And what was the blessing? It was the blessing of a new name. You will no longer be called Jacob, heel grabber, cheat, deceiver. But from now on, you will be called Israel, which means 
one who strives with God. This strange story, and it's got to be one of the stranger stories in the Bible, is really a conversion story. For you see, up to this point, Jacob had really been full of himself. He knew that he was the one who was carrying God's promises, but all along he relied solely upon his own cleverness and his charm to get ahead. All Jacob really seemed to care about to this point was Jacob and his own ability to outmaneuver somebody else and to be number one. And so this encounter, an encounter as it turns out with God, was providential because God had to humble him. He had to throw his hip out of joint, breaking Jacob's overgrown ego and his selfish pride so that God could use him. And Jacob came away from that wrestling match with a limp, a reminder of his own vulnerability, of his need to rely upon somebody besides himself. But he came away from that encounter with God, that wrestling match, with more than just a limp. He came away a changed man, signified by a change of name. No longer was he heel grabber, cheat, deceiver. He no longer, in fact, felt the need to cheat, to deceive, to manipulate, to achieve his own ends. From, from now on, he will be grabbing after God, seeking God's purposes, seeking God's blessings, for he was after God's own heart now. God asks you and me the same question. Same question he asks of Jacob. He says, what is your name? Of course, we all have names, given names found on our birth certificates. Some of us have nicknames. But in asking us this question, God is really asking us to assess the, the true condition of our heart. What is your name? Who are you really? What have you become? How's it been for you? Where are you right now? What is your name? And like Jacob, he asks us to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. To that question, what is your name, we may well confess, well, I'm the broken one. I am the, the failed one. I'm the guilty one. I'm the fragile one. I am the fearful one or the needy one, the sinful one, the unworthy one. Deep down inside, as we think about our own hearts, the state of our heart, we might call ourselves that, honestly. Before God can bless us with a new name, we have to come to grips with our old name, our old identity, the true condition of our heart, the aspects of our old nature that have been shaping us and determining the course of our lives. And sometimes, like Jacob, it takes a personal crisis to get us to, to think about our own lives and how we're living it. 
Sometimes it takes a crisis to realize that the way we've been living just isn't sufficient. I mean, we may have to come to the end of our rope. Perhaps we've been too full of ourselves, leaving no room for God, only to find that living for ourselves just doesn't cut it anymore, doesn't get us anywhere in life. We know we need a change of heart and mind. We know we need to become new people because we don't like what we see deep down inside. Well, hear the good news. You and I can change. We can become new and different people. If we confess our need and turn to God in faith and trust and give our lives over to Him so that God actually and in truth rules over our lives, then God gives us a new name, a new identity. What is your name? You'll no longer be called Jacob. Your name is now Israel. He gives us a new name as well. God is in the name-changing business because God is in the life-changing business. God meets us where we are, but he loves us too much to to, uh, keep us there, to leave us there. He changes us by blessing us with a new name and gives us a new identity. As the Apostle Paul put it, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. He or she is a brand new person. The old nature has gone away. The old identity, the new has come. In October 2011, the Associated Press ran a deeply moving story about a name-changing ceremony for girls in Mumbai, India. At birth, the 285 girls had been named Nakusa or Nakushi, which means unwanted in the primary Indian language, Hindi. The name unwanted is widely given to girls across India where families value sons more than daughters. And as a result, uh, female babies have been aborted or neglected at an alarming rate. But the renaming ceremony was an attempt to give the girls a new identity. The article reported the 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes, braids, and bows in their hair lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with small flower bouquets. And some of the girls chose names like prosperous, beautiful, good, or even very tough. One girl who had been named Nakusa, unwanted, by her grandfather, who was disappointed in her birth, said, this little girl said, now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by this new name, and that makes me very happy. If you and I belong to Jesus, if we've given our lives over into his care and trust him, if he's the most important fact about our existence, then we have a new name. He has given each one of us a divinely bestowed identity. 
from now on, you are no longer the broken one, the unforgiven one, the guilty one, the sinful one, the unworthy one. No, no, no. From now on, you and I are the beloved one, the forgiven one, the hopeful one, the courageous one, the healed one, the persevering one, the overcoming one, child of God. And above all, God calls you and me Christian, which means little Christ. Always uphold that name, Christian. It is a beautiful name. And you honor it and you uphold it by living like one, right? There is no greater name to have, no more noble name to honor and hold than Christian. So let us live up to our new name. Let us live into our new identity as children of God. The old life is gone, the old nature. If we're in Christ, we have a brand new start. We can live into our name. And like Jacob, hold on to God for dear life. Cling to God and seek his blessings always. And he will change your life for the better. To the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we would now admit the true condition of our hearts and we realize that, that we have been somebody that you didn't intend for us to be. We, we too have given ourselves over to our own ego and we've been selfish and out for our own advantage and looking out for number one. But we realize, Lord, that that life just doesn't cut it anymore. Lord, we want to live for you. And so we confess our brokenness and our sin. And we know that in you, you will give us a new name and a new identity. And you will enable us to live as you intend. Lord, change our lives. We are new and different people because of you. That doesn't mean that we will never sin, but Lord, more and more, your, work your way in us. Rule over our hearts that we may honor the glorious name that you've given us. To you be all praise and glory. Amen.